In Luke chapter 19, we read a story that if you're like me and grew up in Sunday school, you maybe have heard many times before. Um, maybe you've watched the cartoons about it or learned some of the corny songs about it. It's the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and his interaction with Jesus. Um, and maybe if you're not like me, you don't come from that subculture that is children's church. Maybe you've never heard this story, and that's really okay because today I'm hoping that as we talk about this story, if it's familiar, it brings new life to a familiar story. And if you don't know it, if it's new to you, I hope that um, it brings a greater understanding of this amazing grace of God and how it transforms our lives. So in Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. In Luke 19, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you've been around Chi Alpha before, you may have heard me share this story, teach on this story, because I think it's one of the greatest, most countercultural images of Jesus' time here on earth, what he came here to do in his transforming grace. It shows us what relationship with him, with him looks like and what it does for our lives. So I want to talk about this story for a minute. From the, from the beginning, it's important for us to know and understand the culture of tax collectors at this time. So tax collectors were Jews, uh, and during this time, Jewish, the Jews were, were under oppressive rule um, by the Roman government. And tax collectors were, were Jews who were working for the Roman government to collect these unfair taxes. So right off the bat, um, they already have a bad name for themselves among other Jews because they were kind of traitors. They were working for the very enemy themselves by being tax collectors and collecting taxes for the Romans. On top of that, Zac um, Zacchaeus and the rest of the tax collectors were known for being kind of crooked and charging extra taxes and skimming off the top. So they would keep some of the money for themselves before they even gave the rest of the taxes to the Roman government. So not only were they working for the enemy, but they were stealing from their own people, their fellow Jews. So this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector and everyone around him hates him. And he, he wants to see Jesus because Jesus has been preaching to crowds and the Jews are following him and Zacchaeus is short. And so he climbs up into this sycamore tree and um, the, the Jews are, are listening to him preach. And what happens is Jesus walks right up to the tree and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to come over to your house. Basically, he says, I want to have a relationship with you. Um, I want to, to get to know you. 
And all the Jews are like, you know, hold on, Jesus. Don't you know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector? He's a sinner. And Jesus later on says, I, I've, you know, not come to save those who aren't sick. I've, I've come to save those who are in need of a doctor. And Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' relationship is a transformed life. He says, um, Jesus, look, I'm going to give back all my possessions. And also, if I've stolen anything, I'm not only going to give that back, I'm going to give back four times the amount that I stole. And we see that because of his relationship with Jesus in that moment, because Jesus came to him, he changes everything. Zacchaeus' life is totally different. So we've been in our heretic series talking about um, different heresies that are pretty easy for us to fall into or to start to believe. A few weeks ago, we talked about Gnosticism, which is the, the separation of the spiritual and the physical. Last week, Blaine talked about fatalism or this kind of belief to give up all of our will to act because, you know, God's in control and what will be will be. And tonight we're talking about antinomianism. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, because I didn't know what that was either. Really, it's just a term to describe this belief about cheap grace. So a little bit about um, this belief system. Antinomians, they, they rejected the very notion that obedience um, or acting in righteousness was important or necessary because they were so afraid of legalism or they were so afraid of just getting caught up in the motions or the actions of the law. So they rejected laws and rejected rules, and they argued against moral, religious, and social norms. They believed that, you know, since our, our faith in, in our salvation is a gift of grace, that, that the actions, um, any act of righteousness, really didn't matter. It really wasn't important. And it's true that the very definition of grace is that we freely get something that we don't deserve. That's what our salvation is. It's a free gift of grace. The Bible says that this is the only way to salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So that's true about our salvation. It's a, it's a free gift of grace. We cannot earn God's love and God's salvation. It's not by our works. But we still believe that sin still separates us from God. And I don't mean in proximity because God is always near. He's always reaching out for us. He always longs for a relationship with us. We see this um, in his relationship, in Jesus' relationship and interaction with Zacchaeus. But sin separates us relationally from God. And we can't understand the magnitude of God's goodness and live in full relationship with Him um, with sin in our lives. And that's how He intended for us to be in relationship with Him. If we cheapen grace by not living a transformed life, we miss out on something entirely. Because real grace delivers us from sin. And if we still long to live in a life that's full of sin or to do it our own way, I'd argue that maybe we've never even understood or really experienced the true saving grace of Jesus because it should transform us and deliver us from our old lives. 
So some of you guys know um, I was away for a couple of weeks. Uh, I got to go home because my uh, sister had her first child. I have a new baby nephew and I'm a new aunt. His name is Isaiah, sometimes we call him Zay. And um, as any new baby is, as you'd expect, he's perfect. And um, I have some pictures for you to see. As you can see, he does get um, his aunt's good looks and he's uh, a proper Buffalo Bills fan, of course. So I would do this thing when I was home a couple weeks ago with him, um, in those first few days of him being alive. You know, we'd, we'd be over at my sister's house and they'd all be making dinner or maybe having conversations. And if I was holding him, I'd take him aside and, and I would start talking to him. I'd, I'd say things in his ear. I would um, say things like, you know, Isaiah, I want you to know that I love you more than anyone else loves you. Even more than your parents, no matter how much they say, um, I do love you more than them. Just kidding, I probably don't, but maybe I do. Um, I would say things like, you're perfect. I would say, you're my best buddy, or, um, you know, I want to hold you forever. Things like that. I would sing in his ears. I would, um, you know, just want to, for him to, first and foremost, just know my voice from the very beginning. I want him to always know that his aunt is here and, and to recognize my voice. And that seems a little silly because, you know, he's only a few days old. He's not even a month old at this point. Um, and he doesn't understand English, right? But I never want there to be a doubt in his mind that from day one I loved him. I want him to know from the very beginning there was nothing he could ever do to earn my love. He could never get rid of my love. Um, it's totally unearned, it's unconditional, and um, there's nothing that he could do to lose that. I want him to know that from the very beginning. But as he grows up, there are things that he could do to separate us relationally. You know, there are choices that he could make to actively go against relationship with me. Or there are things that he could do to, to grow closer to me, either further or closer to me. And although my love for him will never change, our relationship very well could change based on decisions that we make. And true acceptance of my free love for him means that he would want relationship with me, which I can't imagine will be very difficult because I'm definitely going to be the cool aunt, but you know. And that's how the grace of God works. You know, his, his love for us um, is totally unearned and it's totally unconditional and he'll love us no matter what. That's what grace is. But if we truly understand that love and his saving grace, um, we then walk in righteousness out of a desire for a relationship with him. His grace transforms our lives and our actions. And that's where the antinomians got that wrong. Out of relationship, we should long to walk in righteousness. So I just want to talk about this as we dive a little bit deeper. I've just got a couple of points that I want to talk about. My first point is this. We are called to live an integrated life. We're called to live an integrated life. Another word for that is authenticity. Blaine talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Authenticity, you know, really just that means that um, every part of our life matches up. Where everything, hopefully, as, as people of faith... All of our life reflects Jesus and reflects our relationship with him. So the person that I am at church is the same as the person I am with my friends. The person I am in life group is the same person as the person in, in classes. 
that every part of my life seems integrated. It's true that grace comes first. It's unearned. That's our foundation, is the saving grace of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that, that our actions, or um, as scripture calls it, the law, it doesn't mean that that doesn't matter. In Matthew, we see Jesus preaching to crowds at, um, he does this long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, he's speaking to the Jews about the Old Testament law, the, the law that they had been living by, the rules and the actions that they had been, um, been abiding by. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So don't think I've come to get rid of it or say it's not important anymore. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is, is that he's not abolishing the law. He's not getting rid of it. He's saying that he and, and this grace of salvation um, brings life to the law. It makes it alive again. It's not just empty actions. But he's not getting rid of the law. See, cheap grace is inauthentic. Another term for that is hypocrisy. When we live a life that's not integrated, that doesn't line up, it's inauthentic or it's hypocritical. Later in this sermon, Jesus is talking about loving earthly treasures. And in Matthew 6, 24, he says... No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here he's talking about money, of course, but he, in general, he's saying you can't hold both things. They can't be equal. You can't serve both. Um, one will start to take precedence over the other, and one will start to edge the other out or break down the foundation or crack the, the, the foundation of the other. You can't serve both things, which leads to, to the next point that I have. The first one being that we're called to live an integrated and authentic life. The second point is this. Sin grows and separates us relationally from God. As I said before, God is always, you know, reaching out and always wanting relationship with us. But sin in our lives separates us and distances us in relationship with him. We see this throughout scripture when it talks about, about sin. In Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, the prophet says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that, you will not hear, so that he will not hear. We see this in the New Testament too. Ephesians 4, 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So although grace is freely given to us, choosing to sin or to live an inauthentic, not, not integrated life causes separation in our relationship with God. We can't serve two masters. The, like I said, the foundation starts to crack and break away and starts to pull us further and further away from God. 
And this can often start with little compromises, right? You know, we say, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter that I talk about this person this way. Maybe it's true what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter that I watch this show because um, I'm not actually acting that way. It's, it doesn't really matter that I'm thinking this way. It doesn't really matter. And we start to, to make these compromises. But the thing about sin is that it grows. And these little decisions um, get bigger and bigger and they go deeper and deeper until we get to this point where we start to become okay making decisions and compromises that maybe before we never were okay with. And before we know it, we can't decipher between the voice of God and the voice of the world. And this has happened to me so many times before, and maybe it's happened for you where I get to these places where I just get frustrated with God and I feel like he's so far away and I say, you know, God, why are you so distant? Why are you so far from me? Why can't I be in relationship with you? And it's really not about God's distance. It's because of decisions that I have made to separate me from him. Because a perfect and holy God and sin don't go together. They don't exist in the same place. See, cheap grace makes excuses for sin. It says, hey, this is okay. But real grace brings about transformation. It changes us from a sinful life to a righteous life because we long for real relationship with him. And that leads to my final point. Point number three is this. A cheapened gospel is not one worth living. The very point of grace or the gospel is that it changes everything. It changes everything about us. It changes our past. It makes us a new creation. And if we're not transformed from the inside out, have we really understood the magnitude of this grace? Have we truly accepted it and let it permeate every part of us? As Blaine talked about a couple weeks ago in one of his messages, um, grace frees us from and for You know, it frees us from our sinful past. It frees us from the ways that we were before, but it also frees us for a transformed life. It frees us for a life with Christ in relationship with him that's transformed for and by the gospel. Frederick Buechner is a theologian, and he has this quote about grace. He basically says, Grace is this amazing free gift. And And grace says, I love you. The party wouldn't be the same without you. But the catch is we have to reach out and accept that free gift of grace. That maybe that in itself is a form of grace to reach out and take that gift. If we're okay living in sin and we're not, then I think we're not really accepting that gift of grace. The gospel of grace is that we get a life far beyond anything that this earthly life can give us. But in order to receive that, we have to reach out and take it. And we have to give up our old life to do so. Going back to those sermons in Matthew and Jesus' words, he says in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He says it again in Matthew 16, verse 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Cheap grace tells me that my old life is good enough. Says it's okay to live in those old ways. That Hey, that's fine to live that way. That's the best I can get. But real grace 
True grace means that we leave our old life behind for something better. The very nature of grace that we've been given is that it's transformative. And that's what makes it so amazing, that it takes my life and makes me a whole new creation. And I'll be honest, there are times when cheap grace feels um, a lot easier. And then there's other times where I don't really understand it. Because what's the point of cheap grace? If I don't really care to be transformed, why would I choose it in the first place? Why would I choose relationship with Jesus if I don't get real relationship with Jesus? I believe that the real gospel gives us a hope and a future. It gives us a purpose. Its yoke is easy. Its burden is light. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a gospel of justice and mercy and reconciliation. Through the gospel, we get a relationship with the God of the universe. We have a comforter who's closer than a brother and a healer who restores the broken. As Blaine talked about last week, we're humans with, with freedom to choose, though. That's the very nature of the relationship God designed for us, is that we get to choose it. And tonight, I want us to examine our lives for a few minutes. Are there parts of our lives that don't integrate, that don't line up? Are we living authentically as followers of Jesus? And... And maybe an action step is where might God be asking us, each of us individually, to lay down our old lives to take up an even greater one with him? Now, the good news beyond the fact that, that we get this amazing relationship with the king of the universe, um, the good news is that we don't have to do this all on our own effort. That's, that's a false belief, too, that we do it all on our own strength. We don't. The Bible says that we get the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, one of the members of the Trinity, um, to, to, that we can pray to and who intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit helps us in our time of need. And as Blaine said last week, em empowers us to follow Jesus. And then we also get to do this in community. And I know that that's difficult in this season where everything is virtual and online, but we still are designed for community, whatever that looks like. To walk with other people as we follow Jesus together. That's what the body of Christ is. One of the most beautiful things about grace is that we get to choose it. Will we let it transform us from the inside out? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful and aware of the grace that, that you've given us, that saves us from our old lives, from our past, from sin and the enemy. God, what, what a God that we serve that you would do that for us and that you'd long for a relationship with us. But God, I confess that so often I, I, I'm grateful for salvation, but I don't want it to transform my life. God, tonight, would you bring to our, our own minds, like, what are those areas, God, that you're asking us to lay down so that we can get something even better? God, would you give us a picture of what life with you looks like? Would you give us a picture of what relationship with the living God is? Lord, give us the, the, that picture so that we can see how worth it is to lay down everything to follow you, Jesus.
God, I pray that we as DC Chi Alpha would, would be marked by relationship with you, that we would be different than anyone else, that we'd be different than our own selves because we are in relationship with you, Jesus. God, I, I, I'm sorry for the ways that I have put my own desires and my own earthly life in front of you. And God, I just pray that you would give me um, the picture of your kingdom, give me a picture of a relationship with you, God, and we choose that tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be Lord of all and that we would understand fully the grace that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.